You often hear HIV experts say the HIV antibody tests are highly specific. This means if you test positive, you're infected with HIV. No ifs and no buts. Just as this star sign points to only one make of car, positive antibody test has only one cause, HIV infection. In 1988 and 1993, the Perth Group published scientific papers in which we presented evidence that the specificity of the HIV antibody tests has not been determined and is hence unknown. Our view has not changed, but in this presentation, we are going to shed a different light on the same problem using a novel approach based on antibodies in mothers and babies. For all intents and purposes, babies don't make antibodies until the day they are born. Yet they don't succumb to all the infections they meet in the outside world because in utero, they get a large transfusion of antibodies from their mothers. Antibodies, also called immune globulins or immunoglobulins, which come in several classes, are transferred to the baby via the placental circulation. So successful is this that at birth, the concentration of antibodies in the baby's blood equals that in the mother. What's relevant to us is how long the mother's antibodies persist once the baby is born. Antibodies are proteins, and like all proteins in the body, are in a continuous state of renewal and destruction. Much like people, they are born, they age, and they die in repeating cycles. In biochemical language, proteins undergo anabolism and catabolism. At birth, the baby is disconnected from the mother, and the only fate awaiting the mother's transplacental antibodies is catabolism. How long does it take before the mother's antibodies disappear? The answer was first obtained about 60 years ago, and many studies since have confirmed the same result. The half-life of maternal antibodies is 28 to 30 days. Mathematically, it takes five half-lives for near-total disappearance of antibodies, which equates to 150 days or five months. Some studies extend the time for up to nine months, while others claim less than five months. For example, using an ELISA test, the same type of test used to test for HIV antibodies, researchers found many babies lose maternal measles antibodies at three to four months. The West Australian Department of Health measles fact sheet states babies six to nine months of age are susceptible to measles because they have no maternal antibodies. The Australian Government Immunisation Handbook also confirms that antibodies are metabolised within six months. No study has produced a figure greater than 12 months. Here's a graph published by STEAM in 1973. Here you see the transplacental passage of maternal antibodies beginning at about 12 weeks of gestation. Builds up to a maximum at birth, then begins to decline at zero at nine months. Meantime, around the time of birth, the baby begins making his own antibodies. The declining maternal antibodies and the increasing baby's antibodies combine to cause a trough at about two to three months, the time that doctors recommend babies start their immunisations. It's strange but true that although HIV-positive mothers are in prolonged, continuous and intimate contact with their unborn babies, the HIV experts say on average only a quarter of babies become infected. Yet at birth, all babies have a positive HIV antibody test. This is because the antibody tests are reacting to the mother's HIV antibodies transferred along with all her other antibodies to the baby during pregnancy. This is why antibody tests cannot be used to diagnose HIV infection in newborns. It's only after the mother's antibodies have disappeared 
that it's possible to make any sense of a positive antibody test in a baby. So a doctor would have to wait about six months to make this call. Yet despite all the research and assertions by paediatric specialists and textbooks, in 1987 a panel convened by the CDC decided to make an exception for the antibodies that react in an HIV test. In 1987, without citing any evidence to contravene previous research, the CDC expert panel stated, most of the consultants believe that passively transferred maternal HIV antibody could sometimes persist for up to 15 months. In 1991, again without evidence, the CDC panel extended this time to 18 months. And in 1995, the time was extended to beyond 30 months, double what it was eight years earlier. Yet scientists know that HIV antibodies of proteins and the biochemical pathways that degrade such proteins do not signal out any for special treatment. Certainly catabolism may vary by a month or so, but never to the extent believed by the CDC. Once metabolism doesn't say, you're an HIV antibody protein, I'm going to quadruple your lifetime, and then some. <laughs> Whatever the CDC consultants believed does not constitute scientific proof. Their belief reflects an unwillingness to consider explanations that may lie outside the HIV theory of AIDS. Ironically, it was CDC scientists who proved that maternal HIV antibodies do not get special treatment. In 1993, scientists at the CDC's own HIV serology laboratory developed an extremely ingenious test which could distinguish the mothers from the baby's antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test. This proved once and for all that the maternal HIV antibodies disappear by about six months and at the same rate discovered 42 years earlier for other maternal antibodies. It's a mystery why the CDC panel disregarded the CDC's own evidence. Let us now use this knowledge to consider two unique studies of babies born to HIV positive mothers, and in particular, to look at the times the HIV antibodies disappear. In the European Collaborative Study reported in 1988, there were 271 babies. Here is the graph showing how the percentage of babies with a positive antibody test declined with age. As expected, at time zero, birth, 100% of babies had a positive antibody test. Then the number declined, becoming about 15% at about 22 to 24 months. We don't know if the percentage would continue to decline or where it would end up because testing stopped at 24 months. Here we've added the decline of maternal antibodies as per Steen's graph, and we can see that the number of age in the European Collaborative Study report now, in a second, <clears throat> we're getting ready to go. Um, what is this? Let me see. Is this, is this it? I think this is it right here. Yeah. Let me move this around. All right. So, in a second, we'll look at the actual report. I know how we, how we do, you know what I mean? Right. Actually, let me go ahead and um, let me find you guys real quick. Bam. All right, let me find you guys real quick. <laughs> uh, look at the mirror. You in the building. I ain't think nobody would be up. But I wanted to get this information out while it was on my mind. Right? 
All right. So there you go. Right. So you got that link. All right. I got that link. Right. If you're watching this video on a different channel, come back to the original channel that it was streamed from right here. So you can also open up the chat and get these links that are going to be here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Amir, you a night out like me, but sometimes information just be in my mind. I got to get it out. You know what I mean? I just got to get it, get out my point and then, you know what I mean? Then, then it'll be done. I can go on to something else. Right. So <clears throat> anyway, we got the study we're going to go into, but that's where they're pulling from right here in the video. They're pulling right from that study. All right. So just so you see. Ordered in 1988, there were 271 babies. Here's the graph showing how the percentage of babies with a positive antibody test declined with age. As expected, at time zero, birth, 100% of the babies had a positive antibody test. Then the number declined, becoming about 15% at about 22 to 24 months. We don't know if the percentage would continue to decline or where it would end up because testing stopped at 24 months. Here we've added the decline of maternal antibodies as per Steen's graph. And we can see that the number of HIV positive babies dropped from 100% at birth to 75% at nine months. And after that, the number of HIV positive babies declines rapidly from 75 to 15%. This means that overall 60% of the 271 babies lost HIV antibodies beyond the age of nine months. Here we've showed this thing to emphasize the point. In the second study, the aerial study, there are no graphical data, but the data are similar. From 12 months, double the time maternal antibodies used to disappear before the CDC believed otherwise, almost half the babies, 42%, lost their antibodies. So what you ask, what does this have to do with specificity? Let's take another look at the graph starting at the nine-month mark. From just beyond this point, the graph declines quite steeply as more and more babies lose HIV antibodies. But whose antibodies are being lost? They can't be the mother's because hers have already disappeared. She is no longer part of the equation. So unless antibodies appear out of nowhere, the antibodies being lost must have been made by the babies. But we're told HIV is for life. No one is supposed to lose HIV antibodies, except possible when critically or terminally ill. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by the mothers, but then eliminate HIV without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or, for whatever reason, the babies produce these antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test. It cannot be HIV infection. And if this is the case, especially because it applies to so many babies, the specificity of the antibody tests cannot be anything like the 99.9% .9 the HIV experts tell us. These are infected by the mothers, but then eliminate HIV without any form of treatment, including possibly when critically or terminally ill. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by the mothers, but then eliminate HIV, without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or, for whatever reason, the babies produce these antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test. It cannot be HIV infection. 
possibly when critically or terminally ill. I hope everybody that sees this video really understands those two points. Those are the major two points for this entire video. Men lie, women lie, and numbers are often misinterpreted, right? See, we heard men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Problem with that is, right? So you got to get your inky vision glasses. <laughs> the problem with that is, when you look at the fact that numbers don't lie, you have to remember truth or beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So although the numbers aren't lying, numbers can be misinterpreted by the reader. There can be plenty of user error. Right. And then as we learn more, remember, we see in our mind. Understand that piece. We see with our mind, not our eyes. Our eyes are just absorbing energy that our mind is constructing into intelligible, um, intelligible uh, information. We'll put it that way for the sake of this conversation. Right. So our mind then gets to work on the numbers. The numbers are going to give us the truth. But then our minds get to work on those truths and then we we might put a little puffy on it, we might put a little puff daddy, you know, like it might be a little remix on there. Right. So this is why we got to we got to you know, we got we got to relook at some things. So I need you guys to to take note of these two crucial points, because either way we go with the information is a game changer. So are we saying, A, that babies naturally get rid of HIV? Like, so they're all, these are all infected babies. So are we saying that these babies somehow without any treatments at all killed the HIV viruses in their body? Or are we saying that the tests are faulty? And what's being tested for HIV is not actually a conclusive test that says you have a virus called HIV, as opposed to just you having elevated levels of antibodies, which could be produced by a variety of different things. Right. So either we're saying that babies have the ability to <laughs> get rid of HIV all by themselves with no treatment, or we're saying what's being called or what's passing for having HIV virus is nothing more than having elevated levels of antibodies that are not specific to what's being called HIV virus and can be developed in a person's body for a variety of reasons. Right. So one of those two things must be the truth. Either way, both of those are game changers. Right. And if those are not, if neither one of those is true, they're going to hold. Um, they're going to be keys to walking down the pathway to the overarching truth. Right. So either way, we look at these two um, conclusions that come from this study. Either way. It's a game changer. So this is why I'm making sure we listen to our, I want y'all to, this, this is not my research. These are not my words. 
right? These are not my opinions. These are not my facts. I didn't do these tests. I didn't interpret them. I didn't do. I'm just I'm just making you aware of what the current information is, right? The marathon continues. What would Sabi be saying if he had access to this information? Like, what would really be going the fuck on right now, right? So let's take a look at this. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by them. There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of there are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by their mothers, but then eliminate HIV without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or for whatever reason, the babies produce these antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test, but cannot be HIV infection. And if this is the case, especially because it applies to so many babies. The specificity of the antibody tests cannot be anything like the 99.9% the HIV experts tell us. In fact, it may even be zero. You may object, couldn't these be slowly disappearing maternal antibodies the baby acquired after birth from breastfeeding? That's a good point, because there are antibodies in breast milk, but the answer is no. In the European Collaborative Study, only one in 20 newborn babies were breastfed, and then only for a few weeks. In the aerial study, no baby was breastfed. You may also object on the basis that some HIV-positive mothers have a much higher concentration of antibodies, which gives birth from breastfeeding. That's a good point, because there are antibodies in breast milk, but the answer is no. In the European Collaborative Study, only 1 in 20 newborn babies were breastfed, and then only for a few weeks. In the aerial study, no baby was breastfed. You may also object on the basis that some HIV-positive mothers have a much higher concentration of antibodies, which gives their babies an extra-large dose. This is a possibility, but again, one not borne out by the facts. The transfer of antibodies from mother to baby is subject to negative feedback and saturates at the normal level of maternal antibodies. It's like a bucket brigade in a fire. There's only so much that can be transferred. And increasing the source, the amount of antibodies does not change the rate at which they can be transferred. You may also think the HIV antibody tests are super sensitive. That's why the antibodies can be picked up so long. It doesn't matter how super sensitive they are. Even if they can detect one molecule, they cannot detect a molecule that is not there. <laughs> Don't forget the lifespan of maternal antibodies was determined using Even if they can detect one molecule, they cannot detect a molecule that is not there. Don't forget the lifespan of maternal antibodies was determined using techniques which included radioactive proteins. And techniques involving radioactive isotopes are exquisitely sensitive. To emphasize that the issue is the time at which maternal antibodies disappear, we will show a graph published by Professor Rolf Zinkenagel in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2001. Professor Zinkenagel is a highly credentialed Nobel laureate and his graph shows maternal antibodies reaching zero at 10 months. And even if a baby is briefly breastfed, as shown on the early weaning graph, no greater than 12 months. So unless you favor the self-cure account, the only viable explanation is that factors other than HIV cause large numbers of false positive HIV antibody tests in the babies of HIV positive mothers. 
if these factors cause false positive antibody tests in 40 to 60% of infants, why not all of them? And why not in their HIV positive mothers and fathers? Why not in anyone who is HIV antibody positive? It's little wonder the CDC kept increasing the time it takes for HIV antibodies to disappear. Consequences of not doing so would negate the specificity of the HIV antibody tests and with it, the HIV theory of AIDS. If only for the sake of the children, the only viable explanation is that factors other than HIV cause large numbers of false positive HIV antibody tests for babies of HIV positive mothers. If these factors cause false positive antibody tests in 40 to 60% of infants, why not all of them? And why not in their HIV positive mothers and fathers? Why not in anyone who is HIV antibody positive? It's little wonder the CDC kept increasing the time it takes for HIV antibodies to disappear. Consequences of not doing so would negate the specificity of the HIV antibody tests and with it, the HIV theory of AIDS. If only for the sake of the children, it is incumbent upon the HIV experts to present evidence confirming their belief that maternal antibodies do persist beyond the six to 12 months documented by all other scientists, including scientists at the CDC. This means that overall 60% of the 271 babies lost HIV antibodies beyond the age of nine months. Here we've shown this thing to emphasize the point. In the second study, the aerial study, there are no graphical data, the data are similar. From 12 months, double the time maternal antibodies used to disappear before the CDC believed otherwise, almost half the babies, 42%, lost their antibodies. So what you ask? What does this have to do with specificity? Let's take another look at the graph starting at the nine month mark. From just beyond this point, the graph declines quite steeply as more and more babies lose HIV antibodies. But whose antibodies are being lost? They can't be the mother's because hers have already disappeared. She is no longer part of the equation. So unless antibodies appear out of nowhere, the antibodies being lost must have been made by the babies. We're told HIV is for life. No one is supposed to lose HIV antibodies, except possibly when critically or terminally ill. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by their mothers, but then eliminate HIV without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or for whatever reason... The... All right, so let me just... <clears throat> Let me just give y'all some insight on the drugs, right? So we talked about nucleoside analogs, right? Especially in the world where the food is genetically modified. So the actual natural nucleosides that would be in the food are genetically modified. And then they produce synthetic ones in the laboratory called nucleo, nucleoside analogs, which inhibit the development of your immune cells, right? Specifically in the mucous membrane. Now, that right there, right, gives the illusion, right? That gives the illusion of um, a lower antibody count in your tests, right? So 
when you go through this period, right, you have what's called a um a rebounding, right? A rebounding, right? Which is where your your uh your T count comes back up. But these are um these are almost like neutered, right? These are neutered because they don't synthesize the NO, right? And so they don't actually perform like natural immune cells would, right? So what happens over time, what happens over time is slowly but surely, your body becomes too used to the drugs, right? And your immune system becomes long-term crippled anyway. So what you were actually looking to fix, reverse, or prevent actually becomes inevitant based on um, what happens with long-term usage of these drugs, right? So you have to remember that. Also, um, the protease inhibitors, right, that stops the synthesis of the proteins and enzymes and nucleic acids that your body uses to produce new cells. Okay. And this happens as a natural, this is natural, right? Your body, you know, deals with oxidation, free radicals, right? Oxidative stress. And over time, your body recycles the cells that are damaged and produces new ones. Well, on these drugs, your body is unable to produce new ones, right? Or not at the same rate as a normal healthy person would. Not because of the quote-unquote HIV, but because of the nucleoside analogs and protease inhibitors, the, the quote-unquote heart stuff. Now, as that happens, right, as that happens, you have a um, similar to like a vaccine. When you get the vaccine, the uh, disturbance creates a ramped up response, right? So when you take these, because they are also oxidative, your body sees them also as toxins. You get like a, a last ditch effort where your body just galvanizes all of the immune cells to kind of get out there and chew up you know, RNA that's, you know, any any leftover RNA that's out there, what Dr. Sebi would have attributed to erosion, right? Um, this is basically called your, uh, this is called your viral load, right? Because your cells are not being turned over and reproduced, the oxidative stress is leaving a lot of damaged genetic material laying around it's like when you see spaceships in the movies and they're exploded in space and then all the parts are floating out there those parts are what's considered viral load right so when you start the drug therapy you get that last ditch effort where the white blood cells come through and they kind of just like go ham and try to clean up so they kind of chew up all of that debris so when you get tested afterwards, now it looks like, boom, the medication's working, your viral load drops, maybe even drops so low it's undetectable. But long term, right, long term, that doesn't hold. That doesn't hold. 
So once you have long term, your cells begin to go through um, advanced stages of oxidative stress. Um, the cells start to not be able to breathe or resp or respire your oxidative, uh, your excuse me, your respiratory proteins, right? You're getting more lactic acid production. You're getting more wasting production because you don't have the electricity being produced. You don't have the ability to turn over the cells. And now you become susceptible to cancers and other sorts of illnesses that you were actually looking to prevent, right? So hopefully that gave you a little bit of insight and didn't confuse you anymore. But if so, that's good because now you have points of reference that you can begin to research, right? Nothing beats the advice of a medical um, a medical physician or a surgeon, comma, however, um, this is good. Uh, these are good research points that you can use to inform yourself and then um, go and speak to your doctor, your family doctor, or whoever, and ask them more informed questions. The better the questions you ask the doctors, the more information you can get from the doctors, right? The best weapon that you can have, right, is information. So this, all I'm looking to do is just give you guys some information so you can inform yourself. So don't move. Don't go nowhere. Right. We still got more information coming. Right. More information coming down the pipe. Right. I just wanted to elaborate on why maybe I'm kind of bringing back some points throughout this video before we move on. So that way you get a, a good idea. Like, I don't want you to think you're just sitting here to watch this video. Right. But there are some interesting points in the video. I want to make sure you get that's in your mind before we move on from it babies produce these antibodies that reacted to the HIV antibody test, it cannot be HIV infection. And if this is the case, we are terminally ill. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by their mothers, but then eliminate HIV without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or for whatever reason, the babies produce these antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test. It cannot be HIV infection. And if this is the case, especially because it applies to so many babies, the specificity of the antibody tests cannot be anything like the 99.9% .9 of the HIV experts tell us. In fact, it may even be zero. You may object. Couldn't these be slowly disappearing maternal antibodies the baby acquired after birth from breastfeeding? That's a good point because there are antibodies in breast milk, but the answer is no. In the European Collaborative Study, only 1 in 20 newborn babies were breastfed and then only for a few weeks. In the aerial study, no baby was breastfed. You may also object on the basis that some HIV-positive mothers have a much higher concentration of antibodies which gives their babies an extra large dose. This is a possibility, but again, one not borne out by the facts. The transfer of antibodies from mother to baby is subject to negative feedback and saturates at the normal level of maternal antibodies. It's like a bucket brigade in a fire. There's only so much that can be transferred. And increasing the source, the amount of antibodies does not change the rate at which they can be transferred. You may also think the HIV antibody tests are super sensitive. That's why the antibodies can be picked up so long. 
doesn't matter how super sensitive they are, even if they can detect one molecule, they cannot detect a molecule that is not there. Don't forget the lifespan of maternal antibodies was determined using techniques which included radioactive proteins. And techniques involving radioactive isotopes are exquisitely sensitive. To emphasize that the issue is the time at which maternal antibodies disappear, we will show a graph published by Professor Rolf Zinkenagel in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2001. Professor Zinkenagel is a highly credentialed Nobel laureate, and his graph shows maternal antibodies reaching zero at 10 months, and even if a baby is briefly breastfed, as shown on the early weaning graph, no greater than 12 months. So unless you favour the self-cure account, the only viable explanation is that factors other than HIV cause large numbers of false positive HIV antibody tests in the babies of HIV positive mothers. If these factors cause false positive antibody tests in 40 to 60% of infants, why not all of them? And why not in their HIV positive mothers and fathers? Why not in anyone who is HIV antibody positive? It's little wonder the CDC kept increasing the time it takes for HIV antibody to disappear. Consequences of not doing so would negate the specificity of the HIV antibody tests and with it the HIV theory of AIDS. If only for the sake of the children, it is incumbent upon the HIV experts to present evidence confirming their belief that maternal antibodies do persist beyond the 6 to 12 months documented by all other scientists including scientists at the CDC. Crazy. Right? That's crazy right there. <laughs> that is crazy. So anyway, that's available for you. You got the link. Um, oh, hold on. Let me give you the link to the actual video as well. Let me give you the link to the actual video. Boom. Yeah, man. Nuts. All right. So here's the actual um his actual study. Right. And I think this is a, a PubMed version of the actual original. Let me see if. Let me see if I can find this somewhere else real quick. Let's see if we can find. <clears throat> the study from the actual Lancet. All right, so probably not going to happen. <laughs> right, all right. That's all gravy. All right, but you got this anyway, right? As a compliment. You know what I'm saying? We don't really have to go over it too much, but it complements and it tells you the results of what happened with the other children that were not included in that 60 
to 85% of the children that did not develop AIDS, right? Out of the 271 children, 10 did develop AIDS, right? 10 did develop AIDS. Now, I didn't pull up the study, but there's a study that shows that AIDS or the symptoms of AIDS, I'll put it that way, has been documented long before the idea of HIV or AIDS was presented. And um, uh, those uh, those children were all children that came from um, parents that were drug addicts. Right. The children from parents that were drug addicts were um, unable to fully develop their immune systems. Right. And so they were immune compromised. So that's something also you have to understand. And that's one of the main premises of the video in interpreting the data that a either these children um, have a secret reversal mechanism. <laughs> for HIV, like their body, they snap their fingers and then they Thanos the HIV virus or or um, what's being interpreted as a virus is not a virus. OK, it is a collection of antibodies that can be triggered um, for a large variety of reasons that are not specific to HIV virus. Right. But we have to remember AIDS is separate than HIV. AIDS is the collapse of the immune system. And so we went through um, specifically uh, on a number of occasions how heroin, right, opiates create what we know of um, as AIDS by systematically destroying the white blood cells and uh, further destroying the immune system and putting the cells under duress by depleting um, the antioxidant stores, which further causes cell lysis, cell erosion, apoptosis, lysis in the uh, red blood cells, which then increases what we know of as the viral load, right? So some people were like, hey, well, we, I seen the Instagram video, but I, I don't know what you mean, right? Uh, heroin and opiates in general, Right. They um, make the body much more susceptible to all types of infections, bacteria, etc. Right. By destroying the white blood cell count and uh, a couple other areas of the, of the immune system. So what that does is put the cells under stress. Under stress, the cells rely on the antioxidant reserves to take care of business when that fails. Your cells go through an advanced stage of lysis, right, which can lead to hemolytic anemia and some other things. In that situation, because the cells are going through lysis, right, not viral driven lysis, but antioxidant depletion driven lysis, there is a high amount of genetic material along with. Um, so you got RNA, DNA eroded from cells, cell erosion. But then you also have uh, the production of information-based vesicles and retroviruses, as well as, um, uh, what is that? Uh, reverse transcriptase being produced by the healthy cells still living for the creation of new healthy cells, 
which all are detected and used as proof positive that somebody has HIV when really in those scenarios that um, may not necessarily be the case as we just laid out, right? So this is what we're looking at right here when we look at these things. This is what um, people may not know, right? And so uh, you got that, you got that, what else you need? Uh, okay, right? Now, I wanted to also show you this, right? Because I know people could be looking at the IG, right? And so on the IG, I ran this down real quick, but now here in the video, you get to uh, get a little bit more in depth, get a little more comfortable with it and see exactly what's going on right here. So these are the genes, right, that encode. These are the genes that encode for the proteins that you're being tested for when you take an HIV test, right? So these are the proteins. These here are the genes that produce these proteins, right? So what this is showing is how, um, now this is Africa, this is Australia, this is Germany, this is the UK, this is France, okay? This right here is the Red Cross. These are obviously the CDC. This is the, um, what is this? The consortium, <clears throat> the consortium, the U.S. consortium for retrovirus serology. And this right here is the uh, multi, the, what is this? Yeah, the U.S. multi-center AIDS cohort study, right? So pretty much this and all of these guys are the United States. One, two, three, four, five, six, right? Those are the various definitions um, by United States-backed science, right? So even within the United States, there's not a clear consensus on what is an HIV-positive test, right? FDA, Red Cross, CDC-1, CDC-2, um, U.S. Consortium, as well as the multi, the multi-center, right? All of these have different, this is what, so this is what it's telling you. So here, so, and then these, this is Africa, Australia, Germany, UK, and France. So this is how you may hear people saying you can be HIV positive in one country, go to another country and be HIV negative by the same test because you may get the same test, but the same test is looking for different combinations of proteins, right? And they have different standards. Now, here's where it gets real weird, at, right? Here's where it gets really, really weird, right? Here's where it gets really weird. Africa has the lowest standard. Now, this is not me making it up. This is us looking at the actual standards right here. Africa has the lowest standard, making it easiest in Africa for somebody to test positive for HIV. Now, add that into the state of financial emergency going on in Africa. Well, what does that mean? That means that most people in Africa don't actually get tested for HIV. All they have to do is show signs of diarrhea and malnutrition. 
and those are taken as case study proven proof of HIV. So in Africa, if you're in certain countries that are below the poverty level, right? So if you ever wonder what happened to those babies with the flies flying around their lips and all that, this is what happened to them, right? They're all being rele uh, re uh, relegated to HIV positive status, right? And when that happens, they're all grouped off as sick. So let's say there's a country with lots of resources under the ground in Africa, but we rule that population off as sick. We can go ahead and appropriate those resources to better use. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, you I'm not. Listen. I might put a little sauce on it, but you're looking right here at this the, at the, the, the test standards. Right. So any two of these proteins. Show up on the test in Africa. You got HIV and they getting ready to put you on the drugs. Let's get it right now in Australia. There is four proteins that you have to be positive for. And with the FDA, three, Red Cross, three, CDC, three, CDC, two, three, three, no, 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 one, two, right, three here, right, uh-oh, in Germany, it's three here. I thought Germany would, you know, actually, Germany might be pretty low standard, too. Right. Germany might be um, pretty low standard, too. Right. Um, in the UK, pretty low standard as well. Right. But then in France, you have to have four. Right. So that means a person in Africa and these are just the EMV proteins, which. And here's what makes it crazier, because although the Germany and the UK is the same. They're not concentrated with these ENV-based proteins, right? Um, as we talked about, these proteins are particularly higher produced in Africans, Jewish people, and Italians, right? So, again, you have to understand there's a difference in the production of these antibodies in normally healthy people, period. Right. So you got to understand men lie, women lie and numbers are often misinterpreted. So a person can test positive in Africa and jump right over to France and be HIV negative. Just that simple. A person could be HIV positive in Africa, jump right over to Australia. And be HIV negative. Right. So, I mean, and, and look, they're all looking for different proteins and different combinations. And so. Anyway, let me give you all this link. Right. So y'all have this. Right. <clears throat> what is going on with this video? OK, we in business. All right, so you got that link, you got that link. We rolling, we good? Okay. All right.
HIV proteins in normal human placenta. Okay, now look at this study here. Let me give y'all this one, right? Let me give y'all this info right here, right? HIV proteins in normal human placenta, right? I shouldn't have deleted that. Uh, let me see if I can undo the delete. Open, close, tab, boom, there we go, right? So that way we can look at this. Now, cryostat sections of human normal-term placenta were studied for evidence of immunopathology by using antibodies to lymphocytes, macrophages, platelets, and coagulation factors, areas of so-called chronic vitilitis, right? So the microvilli that's all through the body. Right. So now you're starting to see and understand. Now you're getting a deeper understanding why it came out. Like this was my it was Candida cleanse. And then the second thing I came out with was the hair villi. Right. Now you're getting an understanding of how important these villi are all throughout the kidney, the glycocalyx, everywhere. But anyway, areas of so-called chronic villitis, right, which is inflammation in the microvilli of an unestablished etiology, right? Which means that they saw that there was inflammation in the villi, but they don't know why, right? Were identified in all the placenta. The same tissues were examined for HIV protein antigens, 120, 17, 24, and 41, okay? 120, 1741 and what else did they say? 24, right? 24 is like the main one that they use everywhere, right? 24, right? So these are from the gag, right? 17 also comes from this as well, right? No evidence for GP41 was found. However, antigens GP120 and 17 were identified in normal chorionic villi in vermentin-positive fibroblast-like cells and in the endothelium, respectively. Antigen P24 was localized to HLA-DR-positive cells that morphologically resemble macrophages in areas of villitis. So now, what, what this study is saying is that 120, 17, and P24 were identified in normal, healthy human placentas. Right. These are people that did not have HIV. Right. This is just regular healthy women's placentas. Now, they're saying P24 only found in women that have the HR, HLA-DR genes. Right. And those are Africans, Jewish and Italian people, period. Pure Europe, people of pure Euro, European ancestry do not have this. Right. It's only Africans and people mixed with African blood. Right. The distribution of GP120 and P17 was similar to that observed for tissue factor. These findings prompted speculation that retroviral proto oncogenes that are known to encode for certain placental receptors could be involved in the presentation of tissue factor and that GP120 may be hitherto unrecognized. A, excuse me may be a hitherto unrecognized immunobiological mechanism 
for the blockade of CD4 on maternal lymphocytes and if and when such cells gain entrance to the chorionic village. Right. So they're looking for. Right. They're trying to find. So what the study is highlighting is that they're still trying to find the reason. Why these antibodies are produced in HIV negative placentas. Right. So the, the one thing that they know for certain is that they're produced. They don't know why, though, because this, they don't have HIV. <laughs> so going back to the study and the video. Remember one of the two premises. The second premise was that these antibodies are produced, but they have nothing to do with HIV. So the whole system needs to be relooked at because there are a variety of things that can cause these antibodies to be produced, right? A large variety, right? Um, uh, including, and I'm going to just run through a few of them, right? Uh, vaccines, any type of vaccines can produce these antibodies because your body produces a large amount of antibodies to fight off whatever's in the vaccine, right? Tuberculosis, right? Lupus, kidney failure, um, any, any form of herpes in the body, right? And we know damn near 90% of the population has some form of herpes present, right? Um, respiratory tract infections, malaria, syphilis, rheumatoid arthritis, right? Hepatitis, um, organ transplants, um, liver disease, right? Um, hemophilia, right? I mean, just a, a plethora of reasons that your body produces these antibodies has now been identified that have nothing to do with HIV, right? So this whole thing has to be reevaluated, right? So I'm just sharing with you guys information, right? Because it's our job for the marathon to continue to get this research out there. So it's your job to make sure you're sharing these videos, you're thumbing up these videos, you're sending in the donations for support so the research can continue. You're ordering stuff from the websites. You're, you're downloading and sharing the podcast. You're patient for the order to come in. Because <laughs> remember, I'm still making the orders, making the, the compounds, mixing, capsulizing, making the labels, printing the labels, cutting, packing, packaging as well as doing all this research, doing the lecture, while I'm doing the lecture, recording the lecture, editing the lecture, like I'm still doing all of this stuff myself, right? Um, along with Tony, who's, who's doing her thing and working on her, her stuff at the same time. So um, just keep in mind, you know what I'm saying? Patience is also a, a virtue, right? So this is why I tell people to stock up, stock out up on these things. Don't get one detox every month. No, get get six detoxes, get 12 detoxes, get six bottles of this, six bottles. So that way you're not waiting till a panic. If somebody comes down with something, you know, whatever it is, you have the stuff in your house to go ahead and just beef up your immune system real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not waiting. You're not waiting for something to happen. And then you in panic mode like, yo, 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 where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Nah, calm down. 
Like these are things that you need to have on deck. Like when you go to cook a meal, you already have herbs in your cabinet. You already have spices in your cabinet to season your food, right? You should have uh, herbs on hand for your health as well, right? All right, so we got this. Let me make sure I gave you this link. If I didn't give you the link, I'm giving you the link again. Bam. So we out of here. Right. Uh, comparison by race. Total serum IgG, IgA, IgM with CD4 T cell counts in North American persons infected with HIV. Now, this is a very important study. Uh, let me make sure you get this before I get lost in it. Right. Okay. Now, European patients with human immunodeficiency virus, HIV-1 infection, have been reported to have lower titers of anti-P24 antibody than Central Africans. So remember, this P24 is like the smoking gun in terms of um, these HIV tests. Like P24 is like the main one they're always looking for. In many cases, you can just test positive for P24, and that's good enough for them to prompt you to keep taking more and more tests and then, you know, giving you that panic and that fear. And we know that panic and fear produce neuropeptides, and those neuropeptides affect your white blood cells as well, right? We've already looked at those studies that show that monocytes, as well as a host of other white blood cells, have receptors for the neuropeptides that are produced in the brain and the nervous system, right? So those fear-based neuropeptides you produce also attack your immune system, right? So there are a multitude. This is another reason why this information needs to get out there to get rid of the anxiety and the fear, right? People are ashamed to even look at this information, I got people that attack me personally just for talking about the information. Like they don't want to hear it. It offends them. They prefer to pretend the boogeyman doesn't exist than to confront it head on and see exactly what's going on, how to protect themselves and their family. Right. So anyway, uh, European patients with immuno with HIV one infection have been reported to have lower titers of anti P24 antibody than Central African. HIV seropositive patients. Recently, black HIV patients in the United States were reported to be more likely to have detectable P24 antibodies, less P24 antigenemia, and higher combined serum immunoglobulins than white HIV positive patients. Okay, I've been telling you this all along. We measured individual total serum immunoglobulins in 853 HIV-positive patients, okay? 58% white, 42% black, 94% male, right? On their initial medical evaluation and compared them with CD4 T-cell counts, blacks had notably higher IgG levels across the entire spectrum of CD4 T-cell counts, <clears throat> Serum IgM levels were slightly higher in black. IgA levels were not significantly different between the races, although the trend was toward a higher level in whites, right? So IgA seems to be higher in whites, 
where IgM is slightly higher in blacks and IgG levels are way higher for blacks. So again, haplotypes, right? Equatorial haplotypes produce a completely different ratio of antibodies to polar haplotypes. Why? Because the environment's different, right? We also measured these three serum immunoglobulins in 60 HIV seronegative healthy blood donors, 30 black, 30 white, meaning these are HIV negative people. They don't have HIV. In this control group, blacks had statistically higher IgG and IgA levels than whites. A review of the literature prior to the HIV acquired immune uh, acquired immune deficiency syndrome epidemic also supports the view that racial differences in IgG levels are not specific for HIV infection. We speculate that racial differences in humoral immunity, independent of geography or strain of HIV, may account for differences in anti-HIV antibody levels and HIV antigenemia. Right? This is ironclad. This ain't no, this is not up for speculation, right? This is not up for speculation. This is not me right here. This is not say me or Dr. Sabi. This is from the Department of Medicine, Wilford Hall, United States Air Force Medical Center, Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, right? So this is not coming from me, right? So with that being said, I think, I think y'all need a little, matter of fact, what I'm going to do is, because the more you know, right, the more you know, your mind is different and you see things different. So I want I want you to look at some of this again real quick. And then we're going to go back into some info. Right. We're going to go back into some info. But I want you to look at this again now that you're, you have more information. Now you can look at this a different way. Right. Positive antibody test. There's only one cause, HIV infection. In 1988 and 1993, the Perth Group published scientific papers in which we presented evidence that the specificity of the HIV antibody tests has not been determined and is hence unknown. Our view has not changed, but in this presentation, we are going to shed a different light on the same problem using a novel approach based on antibodies in mothers and babies. For all intents and purposes, babies don't make antibodies until the day they are born. Yet they don't succumb to all the infections they meet in the outside world because in utero, they get a large transfusion of antibodies from their mothers. Antibodies, also called immune globulins or immunoglobulins, which come in several classes, are transferred to the baby via the placental circulation. So successful is this that at birth, the concentration of antibodies in the baby's blood equals that in the mother. What's relevant to us is how long the mother's antibodies persist once the baby is born. Antibodies are proteins, and like all proteins in the body, are in a continuous state of renewal and destruction. Much like people, they are born, they age, and they die in repeating cycles. In biochemical language, proteins undergo anabolism and catabolism. At birth, the baby is disconnected from the mother, and the only fate awaiting mother's transplacental antibodies is catabolism. How long does it take before the mother's antibodies disappear? The answer was first obtained about 60 years ago, and many studies since have confirmed the same result. The half-life of maternal antibodies is 28 to 30 days. 
Mathematically, it takes five half-lives for near-total disappearance of antibodies, which equates to 150 days or five months. Some studies extend the time for up to nine months, while others claim less than five months. For example, using an ELISA test, the same type of test used to test for HIV antibodies, researchers found many babies lose maternal measles antibodies at three to four months. The West Australian Department of Health measles fact sheet states babies six to nine months of age are susceptible to measles because they have no maternal antibodies. The Australian Government Immunisation Handbook also confirms that antibodies are metabolised within six months. No study has produced a figure greater than 12 months. Here's a graph published by Steen in 1973. Here you see the transplacental passage of maternal antibodies beginning at about 12 weeks of gestation. It builds up to a maximum at birth and then begins to decline at zero at nine months. Meantime, around the time of birth. All right, so also uh, something to keep in mind is the paradox that exists between HIV science and vaccine science, right? So remember, vaccines are built on the premise that high antibody count means that you are immune to a specific illness or disease or virus, right? So take measles, for example. Measles virus is a bad guy. Measles virus can get you. So you should take the vaccine for the measles virus so that your body can produce a lot of antibodies and those antibodies give you immunity from the measles, okay? And as years go on, the antibodies go down. So what you need, you need a booster shot, right? So as the antibodies go down, you need a booster shot of the measles virus to get those antibodies back up to high numbers so that you are considered immune. Now, uh, flip, fast forward and flip to the uh, HIV science. HIV science says the exact opposite. If you have a lot of antibodies for HIV virus, that is considered uh, a sign that your body is sick and unable to defend itself from the HIV, and now you need drugs and medication to actually lower and get rid of those antibodies, right? So that you could hopefully be quote unquote cured with a uh, HIV, right? If you were to be cured, right? Then you would be taking a uh, test where you are not showing high levels of those antibodies, right? So a high level of antibodies in HIV science means that you're sick. For vaccine science, it means that you're healthy, right? So, so just be aware of that paradox, right? One of those sciences has to reconcile with the other. So either the vaccine sciences need some adjustment and they have to talk and do some conferences with the HIV scientists or the HIV science needs a little tweaking and they have to talk with the vaccine folks. But either way, if you are somebody that puts a hundred percent of your trust and stock 
in the Western modality and the Western institutions that the Western modality comes out of, you have to say to yourself, you have two competing ideologies coming out of that system that clash with each other. So you don't need to listen to holistic healers or anybody else give you an alternative um, understanding. If you just listen to them alone, right? If you just listen to the CDC, for instance, or any of these institutions, they will tell you in regards to viruses, right? Every single virus except for HIV, they'll say, oh, no, no, no. High antibodies is good. In fact, that's why you need to come get a vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Forced vaccines, everybody needs high antibody counts. Flip side, if you have high antibody counts and you take an HIV test, you are positive for HIV. Now, check this out. Vaccines give you false positives proven. Vaccines give you false positives for HIV tests. So now, if you live in a world where they want you to get an HIV test, but they also want to force you to do vaccines, could that be considered forcing you to be HIV positive and then take the medication? Because if you are seen as HIV positive and you don't take the medication, now criminal charges can be put against you. You people have to watch what's going on. So this is why I'm saying people pretending to be community activists, that's promoting. You have to watch what's going. You got to watch the whole play. You got to watch the whole play. Right. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. The baby begins making his own antibodies. The declining maternal antibodies and the increasing baby's antibodies combine to cause a trough at about two to three months. The time that doctors recommend babies start their immunizations. It's strange but true that although HIV-positive mothers are in prolonged, continuous and intimate contact with their unborn babies, the HIV experts say on average only a quarter of babies become infected. Yet at birth, all babies have a positive HIV antibody test. This is because the antibody tests are reacting to the mother's HIV antibodies transferred along with all her other antibodies to the baby during pregnancy. This is why antibody tests cannot be used to diagnose HIV infection in newborns. It's only after the mother's antibodies have disappeared that it's possible to make any sense of a positive antibody test in a baby. So a doctor would have to wait about six months to make this call. Yet despite all the research and assertions by paediatric specialists and textbooks, in 1987, a panel convened by the CDC decided to make an exception for the antibodies that react in an HIV test. In 1987, without citing any evidence to contravene previous research, the CDC expert panel stated, most of the consultants believe that passively transferred maternal HIV antibody could sometimes persist for up to 15 months. In 1991, again without evidence, the CDC panel extended this time to 18 months. And in 1995, the time was extended to be on 30 months, double what it was eight years earlier. Yet scientists know that HIV antibodies of proteins and the biochemical pathways that degrade such proteins do not signal out any for special treatment. Certainly, catabolism may vary by a month or so, but never to the extent believed by the CDC. Once metabolism doesn't say, you're an HIV antibody protein, I'm going to quadruple your lifetime, and then some. 
Whatever the CDC consultants believed does not constitute scientific proof. Their belief reflects an unwillingness to consider explanations that may lie outside the HIV theory of AIDS. Ironically, it was CDC scientists who proved that maternal HIV antibodies do not get special treatment. In 1993, scientists at the CDC's own HIV serology laboratory developed an extremely ingenious test which could distinguish the mothers from the baby's antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test. This proved once and for all that the maternal HIV antibodies disappear by about six months and at the same rate discovered 42 years earlier for other maternal antibodies. It's a mystery why the CDC panel disregarded the CDC's own evidence. Let us now use this knowledge to consider two unique studies of babies born to HIV-positive mothers, and in particular, to look at the times the HIV antibodies disappear. In the European Collaborative Study reported in 1988, there were 271 babies. Here is the graph showing how the percentage of babies with a positive antibody test declined with age. As expected, at time zero, birth, 100% of babies had a positive antibody test. Then the number declined, becoming about 15% at about 22 to 24 months. We don't know if the percentage would continue to decline or where it would end up because testing stopped at 24 months. Here we go to the decline of maternal antibodies as per Steen's graph. And we can see that the number of HIV positive babies dropped from 100% at birth to 75% at nine months. And after that, the number of HIV positive babies declines rapidly from 75 to 15%. This means that overall 60% of the 271 babies lost HIV antibodies beyond the age of nine months. Here we've showed you the thing to emphasize the point. In the second study, the aerial study, there are no graphical data, but the data are similar. From 12 months, double the time maternal antibodies used to disappear before the CDC believed otherwise, almost half the babies, 42%, lost their antibodies. So what, you ask, what does this have to do with specificity? Let's take another look at the graph starting at the nine-month mark. Just beyond this point, the graph declines quite steeply as more and more babies lose HIV antibodies. But whose antibodies are being lost? They can't be the mother's because hers have already disappeared. She is no longer part of the equation. So unless antibodies appear out of nowhere, the antibodies being lost must have been made by the babies. But we're told HIV is for life. No one is supposed to lose HIV antibodies, except possibly when critically or terminally ill. How can babies make HIV antibodies vanish? There are only two explanations. Either a large proportion of babies are infected by their mothers, but then eliminate HIV <clears throat> without any form of treatment, including antiretroviral drugs. Or, for whatever reason, the babies produce these antibodies that reacted in the HIV antibody test, but cannot be HIV infection. And if this is the case, especially because it applies to so many babies, the specificity of the antibody tests cannot be anything like the 99.9% the HIV experts tell us. In fact, it may even be zero. You may object, couldn't these be slowly disappearing maternal antibodies the baby acquired after birth from breastfeeding? That's a good point, because there are antibodies in breast milk, but the answer is no. In the European Collaborative Study, only one in 20 newborn babies were breastfed, and then only for a few weeks. 
In the aerial study, no baby was breastfed. You may also object on the basis that some HIV-positive mothers have a much higher concentration of antibodies, which gives their babies an extra large dose. This is a possibility, but again, one not borne out by the facts. The transfer of antibodies from mother to baby is subject to negative feedback and saturates at the normal level of maternal antibodies. It's like a bucket brigade in a fire. There's only so much that can be transferred. Increasing the source, the amount of antibodies does not change the rate at which they can be transferred. You may also think the HIV antibody test is super sensitive. That's why the antibodies can be picked up so long. It doesn't matter how super sensitive they are. Even if they can detect one molecule, they cannot detect a molecule that is not there. Don't forget the lifespan of maternal antibodies was determined using techniques which included radioactive proteins. And techniques involving radioactive isotopes are exquisitely sensitive. To emphasise that the issue is the time at which maternal antibodies disappear, we will show a graph published by Professor Rolf Zinkenagel in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2001. Professor Zinkenagel is a highly credentialed Nobel laureate, and his graph shows maternal antibodies reaching zero at 10 months, and even if a baby is briefly breastfed, as shown on the early weaning graph, no greater than 12 months. So unless you favour the self-cure account, the only viable explanation is that factors other than HIV cause large numbers of false positive HIV antibody tests in the babies of HIV positive mothers. If these factors cause false positive antibody tests in 40 to 60% of infants, why not all of them? And why not in their HIV positive mothers and fathers? Why not in anyone who is HIV antibody positive? Boom. Right now, <clears throat> let's go somewhere else because uh, actually, let's go over here. Let me show you how this. All right, we looked at this, and you guys got this, right? Let me make sure. Right, better to double check to make sure. Right, all right, bam. So, y'all got that. Now, let's go over here real quick. I want to show y'all something so that before we re go through this next article, y'all know who is this guy, right? Robert Gallo, right? An American biomedical researcher. He is best known for his role in the discovery of HIV. Okay. He's the guy that, quote unquote, discovered it and designed the test. <laughs> Yo, I can't. My bad. He discovered the virus and then created the test to prove the virus exists. <laughs> Yo, I'm sorry for laughing. Right. But like, I mean, I don't know. I'm from the hood, man. I'm from the hood. So. You know what I mean? We just, like, we just, I don't know. That's just crazy. My man discovered the virus that nobody else could find. He, and then he created the test to prove it exists. I'm just leave y'all with that. We're going forward. I'm just leave that right there. But anyway, this is the guy. Okay. This is the foremost expert. He's the discoverer. He created the test to make people, uh, to show whether people are positive or not, whatever the case may be. This is your guy, right? All right. 
cool. Right? So <clears throat> let's look at this here. Right? Very important piece of information, right? Let me give y'all this link right here. Right. And again, if you're watching this on another channel, the reason why you don't have the links is because you are not watching here. This is where you should be watching at. In order to get all these links in the chat, you need to come watch here. This is the original name of the video, right? This is the original name. AIDS, HIV, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. However, they can be misinterpreted, right? So come here, and then you'll have all the links right in the chat. Right? All right. Now, extracellular vesicles and viruses, are they close relatives? Okay, look at the authors for this report before we go through this study. Look, Robert C. Gallo. Okay, why is this crucially important before we go through it? Because um, there is an entirely different population of scientists that are coming to the conclusion that what's known as the viral load, right? The viral load that um, is proof positive of the antibody test. So they kind of use these things, right? So if you have the virus, you have the the antibodies present, and then they test your blood for a viral load. You have a viral load or high viral load, and then you have low white blood cell count. That's how they prove one thing to the other, right? But they're not isolating actual HIV viruses. Just know that, right? What they're doing is isolating antibodies, right? Um, that you see have a variety of reasons why they can be produced outside of HIV, right? Or at least the evidence points in that direction. Um, this article here will be kind of going over what actually is in that viral load, um, even though we kind of discussed it a little bit already. And we've went in depth in other videos, but uh, I'll recap it real quick for you. Um, anytime your body is subject to oxidative stress, that oxidative stress will lower the body's antioxidant reserves. When that happens, your cells will go through lysis, particularly the red blood cells, right? But all of your cells are um, subject to free radical damage in the same way. As that level goes up, you have, and, and as your glutathione specifically level goes down, because glutathione, low glutathione, which is the most important antioxidant in the body, will also lower white blood cell count and activity, right? And we already know that white blood cell levels are lowest in black people from the gate, right? So now you get this oxidative stress, which further lowers the white blood cell count, but also creates a um, pool of eroded um, genetic material, RNA, DNA, et cetera, right? In response to this erosion, in response to the cell degradation, the body, the healthy cells produce um, reverse transcriptase, Right, which is one of the other um, identifying markers, quote unquote, 
um, and then also little bits of genetic information in the guise of reverse transposons, etc., to inform the new cells of what they need to do in the new cellular environment to protect themselves. This is how cells communicate. So what was viewed as viral load is now becoming more and more evident as nothing more than um, how cells naturally communicate and defend themselves, right? Against any and everything that attacks the cells, not like a specific virus. So anyway, this report is co-authored by Robert Gallo. Very important, right? <clears throat> so we're going to go through, uh, let me see. All right, we're going to try to get through this whole thing, right? I had to read all to you myself, right? Hold on for one second. Let me, let me turn this damn alarm off. is awesome so new phones you, you need to put your pin number in to turn off the phone <laughs> that's crazy um anyway all right so wait a minute did i give you out this link damn alarm driving me crazy let me make sure i gave you the link now you got the link again if you already had it all right all right extracellular vesicles and viruses are their close relatives Extracellular vesicles released by various cells are small phospholipid membrane enclosed entities that can carry microRNA. Right? So, see, this is the beauty of following along with all the videos um, because now you know about microRNA. We did a plethora of videos on microRNA, we did a plethora of videos on phospholipids, phosphorus. Um, how the body uses uh, phosphorus-based uh, compounds and molecules to communicate information, light, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff, right? So, so as we go through now, you guys are deep. Now, the people that are in the class, this is second nature for them, right? Or for the, for the people that have been in the class with me for a while, the new students. We got a couple of new people in the class. Um, they learn it. You know what I'm saying? They'll, they'll get there. Right, but for the people that have been in the class for a while, this is super easy peasy, one, two, three easy. And this is why we need more living biochemists, more people in the class, right? Um, so anyway, they are now central to research in many fields of biology because they seem to constitute a new system of cell-cell communication. Physical and chemical characteristics of many EVs right, extracellular vesicles, as well as their biogenesis pathways resemble those of retroviruses, right? 
I, I should just be able to drop my mic right here and just walk off, walk off the stage, right? What this is telling you is that cells produce what uh, by any measure are retroviruses, right? And a retrovirus, remember, a retrovirus is really nothing more than RNA, right? Which uses reverse transcriptase to produce DNA, right? So um, cells that are antioxidant depleted or an antioxidant uh, bacterially infected and viral infected, like any attack, free radical oxidative stress can cause cells to start to produce this genetic material for newer cells. You know what I'm saying? It's just simple if you move outside of cells, right? Let's just think about people, right? If 10 of us are in a room and three of us get it, like all 10 of us get attacked by something that's invisible or not even something invisible. Like we just all three, all 10 of us get attacked, right? And three of us are killed. Seven of us learn from watching the three get killed how to kill or fight off whatever killed them, right? When three new people are being created, I know you got to take the analogy with a grain of salt, damn it, right? But as three new people are being generated or entering the room, so to speak, we can tell them, hey, listen, in a second, the closet door is going to open up. And some crazy clowns with baseball bats are going to jump out and attack you. You know what I'm saying? Duck down, punch them in the stomach, and then they evaporate. You know, just anyway. You 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 should get it, right? Especially my generation from video games because we all pass cheat codes along, right? This is the cell's way of passing a cheat code along when under any type of duress, right? The cells that survive give the new cells the information they need to survive in the new environment, right? So, <clears throat> moreover, EVs generated by virus-infected cells can incorporate viral proteins and fragments from viral RNA, being thus indistinguishable from defective retroviruses, right? Now, let me show you something real quick. No, this keeps showing DNA viruses. Ah, here we go. Right? Ancient viruses are buried in your DNA. What? Yo. Suckers here. It's all right, though. We just gonna come right over here. Whoop. Here we go. Ancient viruses are buried in your DNA. A human embryo at 45 days. Right? Scientists have this is a human embryo at 45 days. Right? This is that afro. Afro. Scientists have learned that a protein called hemo. Made by a fetus 
and the placenta is produced from viral DNA that entered our ancestors' genomes 100 million years ago. In July, scientists reported that a strange protein courses through the veins of pregnant women. No one is sure what it's there for. What makes this protein called hemo so unusual is that it's not made by the mother. Instead, it is made by her fetus and in the placenta. But a gene that originally came from a virus that infected our mammalian ancestors more than 100 million years ago. Hemo is not the only protein with such alien origins. Our DNA contains roughly 100,000 species of viral DNA. Altogether, they make up about 8% of the human genome. And scientists are only starting to figure out what this viral DNA is doing to us. Okay? So we got 100,000 pieces of viral DNA in our healthy DNA, in healthy people, right? In healthy people, <laughs> there's over 100,000 pieces of viral DNA in every single cell. This is not in your total body. This is in each cell, right? All right. Some of our ancient viruses may be protecting us from disease. Others may be raising our risk for cancer, among other conditions. It's not an either or, right? It's not an either or. Most of our viral DNA comes from one group in particular, retroviruses, a group that includes HIV. A retrovirus invades a host and inserts its genes into that cell's DNA. These viral genes co-opt the cell's machinery, using it to make new viruses that escape to infect more cells. If a retrovirus happens to infect the egg or sperm, its DNA can potentially pass to the next generation and the generation after that. Once retroviruses become inherited stowaways, scientists refer to them as endogenous retroviruses. At first, endogenous retroviruses coax cells to make more retroviruses that can infect other cells. But over generations, the viral DNA mutates and endogenous, endogenous retroviruses eventually lose the ability to infect new cells, right? What that means is that we become immune to them as they become regular parts of our DNA. We become immune to them, right? This is a part of horizontal gene transfer. This is why we, this is why I spend so much time on this. All species living in an environment share genetic material, all of them. That genetic material becomes incorporated into your genetic database. This is how new features, this, this is what totally destroys the out of Africa theory of evolution, the Charles Darwin theory. This is why it destroys that theory. It doesn't help it. It doesn't prop it up. It destroys it, right? Because now we know where the genetic information to build new body parts comes from. Not mutations, not sporadic changes in the environment, but from all of the other living systems sharing genetic material. And when an environmental situation arises that requires change of the organism, the organism is able to tap into that stored data from their ancestral lines, as well as all of the DNA and RNA that it has absorbed throughout the entirety of their ancestral lines, 
and make changes. Right. All right. So let me give you guys this. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me give you guys this link real quick. All right. Ooh, so y'all got that. All right. Let's go back to work. <clears throat> All right. All right. So y'all got that. Anyway, the earth hath bubbles as the water has. I don't know what Macbeth was trying to convey there. Anyway, cells in vivo and ex vivo release membrane vesicles. These extracellular vesicles are 50 to 100 nanometer size lipid bilator enclosed entities containing proteins and RNA. Right? Inky sips tea. Not long ago, EVs were considered to be cellular dust or garbage and did not attract much attention. Right? Viral load. Hint, hint, wink, wink. However, it has recently been found that EVs can have important biological functions and that in both structural and functional aspects, they resemble viruses. This resemblance becomes even more evident with EVs produced by cells productively infected with viruses. Such EVs contain viral proteins and parts of viral genetic material. In this article, we emphasize the similarity between EVs and viruses, in particular retroviruses. Moreover, we emphasize that in specific cases of virus-infected cells, it is almost impossible to distinguish EVs from viruses and to separate them. Right? I should just drop the mic right there. That's why we're going to walk this article down. Now, I haven't had a chance to rest my voice from Father's Day, so it's still <clears throat> the itchy and scratchy show. <laughs> right? But y'all going, we're going to deal with it. Right? I'm going to deal with it, the, un, the, the uncomfort, and y'all going to deal with my, my, my coughs and scratches and gooks. Right? But I need y'all to understand these... Um, these admissions, right? I can only wish that Dr. Sabi was alive to see these things, right? What the hell would Sabi say right now with this paper in his hand? What would he be saying with this paper in his hand, right? If we took this paper, damn, I don't remember what that paper was in the other video. Um, let me see. Uh, let's see if it was this let's see if it was this because slowly but surely admissions are being made no it's not this and we need to uh Okay, here we go. Here we go, right? So now let's let's take these two, right? <clears throat> and remember that the god Ogun that came to us in the personage of 
Alfredo Dr. Sebi Bowman was held on trial for this. At the same time, as people were getting Nobel Peace Prizes for carbon, right? And now here we go, 2019, we have admission from the CDC that reports the risk of HIV transmission from someone who is on durable antiretroviral therapy with viral suppression is 0%. Zero percent. You gotta, you gotta be able to. <laughs> you just gotta be able to just love this. You gotta be able to love this, right? You gotta be able to love this. I can only imagine what a conversation between Doctor Sabi and Robert Gallo would be like with this information in Doctor Sabi's hands. Right. You got to say to yourself, what would that conversation be like? Right. What if we could put what if we could put. And just 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 have a thought experiment with me. God damn it. OK. Don't get your panties in the bunch. Don't get crazy. Right. But what if we could take Robert Gallo and Dr. Sabi, Right. And put them on Sonetta TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, put them in the lion's den so they could debate and go wild. This shit. <laughs> Yo, Sabi would eat this nigga alive right now. Like, seriously. With this information right here. And there's a lot of information behind this. I'm giving y'all some stuff, but there's a lot of information behind this. Just look. Because of this, there is virtually no chance of transmitting HIV with an undetectable viral load. You see, they're creating papers and documents to soften the blow should science continue to evolve on this subject and say that they've made a huge mistake and maybe hundreds of thousands into the millions of lives may have been lost by a mistake in science. They're slowly but surely, um, it's a possibility, let's say that, putting papers in place as protection should people keep scratching. That was my favorite part of the movie, Ray. Scratch a lie, find a thief, right? So if people continue to scratch and a thief pops out, there's papers in place like this. The CDC is now saying that, you know, if you're on the treatment, you know, there's zero chance of you transmitting HIV because of the viral load. Huh? You mean this viral load over here? The one that says they emphasize that in a specific case, of virus-infected cells, it is almost impossible to distinguish EVs from viruses and to separate them. So, if 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 this goes under scrutiny, like it already is, but if it could, if the scrutiny continues to grow, they're setting the platform right here, right here with this paper. Remember, you got this paper. 
Remember, you got this paper. They're setting the precedent with this paper released in 2016 to say, oops, we made a mistake. Right. We cannot distinguish viruses from vesicles that look like viruses. So, yeah, um, my bad. Like this is a this is a my bad waiting to happen. Co-authored by your boy right here, right? Co-authored by your main man with the game plan. Who, by the way, it may not be relevant, right? I'm just going to add it. It may not be relevant, but your man has already made billions of dollars off of his patents, his discoveries, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Your man has made billions. So. Later on, this turns into a huge my bad because, hey, we put out the papers that shows that it's impossible to distinguish actual non-infectious. Look at that. Can I make that bigger? Right. It is impossible to distinguish non-infectious from actual viruses and separate them. Right. Because, see. The old scientific doctrine was that endogenous retroviruses were non-pathogenic. They had to rewrite clinical papers to say that retroviruses caused illnesses. For 40 years, retroviruses were considered harmless, just like we just read in this article right here. Right. Once they become a part of your body endogenous retroviruses yada 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 right this is a part of that campaign to rewrite history that's what they do they rewrite history a new discovery keep in mind just keep in mind a, re a new discovery can always be a way to rewrite a historical narrative right you have to be alert right I'm not saying it is I'm just saying there are possibilities right so let us start with definitions. Although EVs were discovered decades ago, EV research emerged as a separate field relatively recently and currently lacks sufficient practical nomenclature. In full analogy with viral biogenesis, some of the vesicles are generated inside cells and are released into extracellular melu are called exosomes, whereas others. So what is it saying right here? Nomenclature. Because this is a new field of study, the vocabulary to describe hasn't been nailed down yet, right? So just letting you know there's plenty of fuckery and goofy shit going on surrounding this study, right? That's all. That's all that means, translation, fuckery and goofy shit, right? Whereas others pinch off from the plasma membrane and are generally referred to as microvesicles. So now look, now we got microvesicles exosomes and extracellular vesicles, right? All three different names to describe the same thing. <laughs> oh, shit. This is how people get confused. This is why I got to try to translate this shit, this gobbledygook into something that makes sense, right? 
Most commonly, the general term EVs is used to refer to any membrane vesicle of a type that is released into the extracellular space. However, the use of this general term not only masks the fact that EVs are highly heterogeneous in size, structure, and biogenesis, but may also lead to apparent controversies when different studies deal with different entities but call them by the same name. The diversity of EVs may also underlie the large variety of roles ascribed to them in normal cell functioning pathologies. In contrast to EVs, the definition of viruses developed by 20th century virologists was quite precise. Both the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Oxford English Dictionary define virus as an infectious agent of small size that can multiply only in living cells. EVs do not fall under this definition because despite their resemblance to viruses in many aspects, they are fundamentally different as they do not replicate. However, contemporary virology has distanced itself from this strict definition of virus by its wide use of the terms non-infectious and defective virus. Now, let's rewind back. Zoo, 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 zoo. Right. EVs do not fall under this definition because despite their resemblance to viruses in many aspects, they are fundamentally different as they do not replicate. Right. Now, we know that that's not true. Right. We know that that's not true from the other article we read right here. Right. As these retroviruses become a normal part of your genome. Right. As your cells reproduce, those retroviruses are reproduced with the normal cells. So they're not reproduced separate outside of your nuclear or mitochondrial DNA, but now they're reproduced within the nuclear or mitochondrial DNA. So you you, you got to watch. You got this what I'm saying. We got to have more living biochemists. We got to have more people in the classes. We have to be able to make these insights and then teach the world. Right. Anyway, based on current knowledge, there are many aspects in which EVs resemble viruses, in particular retroviruses. Now, also, the thing to note is how are they going to put the blame? Look how my man that made billions. Now he getting ready to blame this shit. On <laughs> the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Oxford English Dictionary. Look at my man lining up scapegoats already. Right? Anyway. Um, wait, is this good? <clears throat> Let me shrink it a little bit. Okay. Although some EVs may be up to a micrometer in size, the majority of EVs are smaller than 300 nanometers, the size of a typical RNA virus. Like enveloped viruses, EVs are surrounded by a lipid membrane that also contains cell membrane proteins. Like many viruses, EVs are formed in the endosomal system or at the plasma membrane via defined biogenesis pathways. For example, involving the endosomal sorting complex is required for transport machinery. Like viruses, EVs can bind to the plasma membranes of other cells, enter them either through fusion or endocytosis. 
and trigger specific reactions from the recipient cells. Finally, EVs carry genetic material, and this genetic material can change functions of the recipient cells. All right. So what is this saying? Right. It shows a almost almost impossible to identify the differences between actual viruses or components being produced within the cell. Now, there's another even bigger destruct like this is this article right here you you guys may not really realize what article you have in your hands right now what we're actually going through right um but there was also a consensus to attack me and my contemporaries based on the fact that we do not subscribe to the whole theory of germs, right? To the whole theory of germs, which basically says that a virus or bacteria from the environment somehow gets into your body and then makes you sick. We now know, right? As you're looking at it right here, we now know that what is deemed viral agents in many situations can be produced in the cell and can be produced in the cell via fermentation, lack of oxygen, oxidative stress, bacterial infection, viral infection, etc., etc., etc. Any form of duress in the cellular environment can cause the cells to produce these EVs that single-handedly are going to destroy what you know of as the germ theory, which was the predecessor to the virus theory. So remember where you were sitting at. Remember where you were sitting at. Remember the sound of my voice. Remember this moment in time, whatever country you're at, look at your watch, right? Remember the day, remember the time that you saw this, right? Because when the world changes, you will have this moment right here as a reference point to say, holy shit, we were way ahead, way ahead of the learning curve. Why the didn't I get busy, go deeper in the study, and prepare myself to meet this brand new world that's coming? Because, see, when people have new information, that allows them to be a part of the brand new industries that are going to evolve surrounding the new information. So this is not just uh, physical health. This is not just wellness. This is Fiscal health. You're in the know. This is like insider trading information on Wall Street. You know what the market's getting ready to do before it does it. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you know the paradigm changing information right now. So right now, you're going to be able to look back on this very moment in the future and say, yo, 
I made a fortune listening to Inky or Inky listening to Inky. I was able to protect my family, my children. We like we saved our lives based on this shit. Or we changed our lives based on this shit or improve. Like this is a moment. Or or you're going to be able to look back at this moment. And it's going to give you chills and it's going to give you nightmares. Because this is going to be the moment that you ignored information that could have changed your life and your family's life forever. Forever. Right? So we're going to keep going, but I just want to put that on the table so you know exactly what it is that you're looking at here. And just some of the effects that this paper is going to have as it begins to reverberate throughout the world especially with Robert Gallo's name as an author on this. All right. So <clears throat> let's go right back up here, right? Especially in the case of retroviruses, EVs generated in infected cells contain selected molecules of viral origin and can be so similar to non-infectious defective viruses that have lost their ability to replicate, that the difference between them becomes blurred. In other cases, EVs provide an envelope to non-enveloped viruses, hepatitis A, and these EV encapsulated viruses can infect cells. Similarly, EV is also an admission, right? Also an admission, just, just follow along. This, this paper is very revealing. Right. Similarly, EV released by hepatitis C infected cells can carry full infectious viral genomes that in target cells generate new infectious viral particles. In this perspective, we suggest that in retrovirus infections, a variety of diverse vesicles is released such that on one extreme, there are EVs consisting entirely of host cell components. And on the other, replication-capable viruses. And between these extremes are non-replicating particles that can be considered both as defective viruses and as EVs containing various amounts of virus-specific molecules, right? So, again, that viral load is crazy. What does that viral load even mean now when you they tell you in clear, plain English that they don't they don't know what the viral load means? So you having a high amount of something that they can't interpret to be pathogenic or non-pathogenic means what? Right? What does that mean? What means the world to you? My money, my uh, what means the world to you? I'm just asking. Right? Obviously, unlike true viruses that uh, EVs that contain viral proteins and fragments of viral genomes do not cause outbreaks and epidemics. Obviously, unlike true viruses, EVs that contain viral proteins and fragments of viral genomes do not cause outbreaks and epidemics. What? However, EVs can either directly interact with retroviruses or modulate host cells, thereby affecting the infection. Thereby affecting the infection. I like that. Studies on other virus infections in which EVs were shown to affect antiviral immune responses 
or in which EVs were shown to entrap non-enveloped viruses have been reviewed elsewhere, right? So they're not going to talk about that on this paper. It's too hot, right? So here they're just giving you an idea of what the stuff looks like, right? Now, science, remember, this is a new science. So remember, none of this is written in stone. So as they're saying that EVs are enveloping viruses, who's to say who who's to say that that's accurate? How do we know that what these things are called as viruses is just not producing the cell all the way? Right. And there's a slow admission. There's a slow admission to realize the truth because it destroys the entire germ virus theory. Just saying. Just saying. Remember where you was at. You know what I'm saying? This is playoff shit right here. It's like the playoffs. I remember where I was at. Watching Michael Jordan win all them championships, one through six. I remember exactly where I was at and who I was with watching them joints. Right? So this is playoff shit right here. Right? I remember watching John Elway take mad L's in the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? I remember them games. Remember where you was at. Right? Anyway. Structural, figure one, structural similarities between EVs and virons. Cells infected with enveloped RNA virus release vesicles containing a variety of host and viral factors. On one extreme, there are EVs consistently, consisting entirely of host cell components. And on the other extreme, there are infectious viruses surrounded by a host lipid bilayer and containing all of the virus-specific molecules necessary for infectivity. In virus-infected cells, EVs incorporate fragments of the viral genome and viral proteins. Moreover, virus infections modify the incorporation of host proteins and RNAs into EVs. Moreover, virus infections modify the incorporation of host proteins and RNAs into EVs. What? Such infection-induced EVs and the so-called defective viruses and virus-like particles are intermediate entities, and the border between them seems not to exist. What? I just hope y'all understand what we're reading right here. Like, I don't even know if we need to keep going. Like, this shit crazy right here. Listen, I think I'm going to leave y'all with this, man. I think I'm going to leave y'all with this, man, because this shit gets too crazy. Let me make sure y'all got this. Let me put this in the chat again, right? Let me put this in the chat again, man, because this shit getting too crazy. I'm keeping a band. Mr. Postman, bring me a dream. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Yo, they got some nerve. Mr. Postman, bring me disease, bum, 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 make it the sickest thing that I've ever seen, bum, 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 make me have mucus until I kill over, 
What do EVs and viruses deliver? Published data indicate the EVs share with viruses an important function that played a critical role in evolution, namely delivering bioactive material from one cell to another. Okay, glad I continued to read on. So what this is stating is the obvious, so we don't have to go through it, right? If your cells have the ability to shed their genetic material with um, or share by shedding, right? Shed their genetic material into the environment. Of course, before that genetic material totally leaves the body, it is shared by the other cells. Think about it. How could a cell inside your body shed genetic material and that genetic material not be picked up by other cells before it leaves the body? Right? Common sense. Horizontal gene transfer is how organisms share genetic material in the environment. So you got to know two plus two is four all the time. Of course, your cells are sharing genetic material. Like that's crucial. Right? That's crucial. Right? So now here we get to see what these guys look like. Right? Or at least a little fake out, a little fake out picture. Right? This is the biggest cop out. Listen, you guys go you study, do your homework, study this paper. Study this paper. Remember where you was at. Look at this one. Look at this one. God damn it. I can't even get out of this paper. Look at this shit here. Figure three, pro-viral and antiviral effects of EVs released by retrovirus infected cells. So do you understand what that's saying? That's saying that that's saying that these quote unquote EVs, right? These vesicles, right, that are identical to retroviruses may actually be the cure for the viruses themselves. So let's rewind back to what I told you. There's a problem. Is a snafu, right? <laughs> There's a conundrum. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. We got a new word, right? Conundrum, right? There's a conundrum that exists between <laughs> virals of vaccine science and HIV science. Vaccine science says high antibody counts are good. It means you're healthy. HIV science says high antiviral count means you're sick. Okay. Now, we have here proviral and antiviral effects of EVs released by retrovirus infected cells. Retrovirus infection can lead to the release of modified EVs that either facilitate or suppress infection. So, when we take medications that actually inhibit our body from producing these vesicles, what are we really doing? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. 
right? So anyway, I got the link, link, linky. Don't be looking stinky. Just come over here, get your info from Inky. This is how we do it. You know that I'm true it. Hit you with a little science, then a little music. Right? So we gotta get a little music on this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, get a little music on this joint. What we wanna do? Do we wanna do oh wait a minute? Let's do Yeah, let's do my man real quick. All right, niggas in the trap. You know what I'm saying? Niggas in the trap. Woo, 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 woo. Little boss, little bit. You know what I mean? Niggas be ignorant, running around, acting all crazy. Fear induced, got niggas going swayzy. It's ghost town. That's why I bring the flow around. Bring the flow around. Let them know they know now. I'm giving the info. Trying to make it simple. Hit you with some info and then the instrumental. <clears throat> Early morning freestyle flow. Let these niggas know we not Alpo. When we talk that talk from New York, we just walk the walk and let niggas know you ain't gotta be outlined in chalk. Cause you running around stupid as fuck, still eating pork and drinking that milk, loading up on morphine. If y'all don't understand, this is what the score means. They giving niggas this shit on the regular, the race game. That means you got competitors, predators, fucking you up, hitting your <laughs> yo. You know what I mean? Woo! 